Hey folks, my name is Andy Sido. Welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. My guest today is Boulder-based performer, songwriter, and producer, Mark Oblinger. All right, welcome back. Happy week, happy Thursday, or whatever day you're listening to this. Um, I didn't mention last week was episode 70, so we're on episode 71, and I mean, episode 35 feels like a few weeks ago, and I I mean, it was about 36 weeks ago, actually, is how long ago it was, to be exact, but it feels like just a few weeks ago, so time's flying by, and there's always something to do, you know, even when I get ahead by three interviews, and I have them all posted, and I have all the small clips edited, um, time flies and all of a sudden I'm looking at the calendar going, oh my gosh, I need to book somebody else. Um, need to reach out to somebody else. Um, and yeah, but it just, it's flying by and I love doing it. I've said this many times. I absolutely love doing this, doing the podcast. It's a great joy for me. Um, and a great way for me to make new friends, chat with old friends, um, have conversations with people that I know and respect, but wouldn't normally have lunch with. And, uh, yeah, it's just a great time. So, my guest today is Mark Oblinger. He's someone who's been in uh, in the Colorado scene for a long, long time, uh, I think since the late 70s. And he's somebody who's made it work in the music industry for his entire career. Um, he's been a songwriter. He's, he's still a songwriter. I mean, that's that's his main thing. He he is a songwriter, but that's something that he's done is, is write songs, Um He's composed music. He composed music for Oprah for a little while. Um, he's gotten to sing harmonies on stage with the likes of Garth Brooks. He's produced songs for other artists. He's been involved with making children's music. He went on a couple tours uh, singing with Pure Prairie League and Firefall. Um, he's done a lot of things. You know, he's he does a lot of you know, he's done a lot of performing. And when I when I look at somebody like that, chat with somebody like that. I think, man, that's kind of how I'm making it work. You know, I'm I'm doing um, the piano trio gigs and I'm playing solo and I'm writing songs and I'm composing and I'm producing and doing a podcast. And it's really cool, um, the unpredictability of every day. You know, I, I mean, I think it seems dangerous to some, but there's consistent work and it's always in music and, and you never know what's coming next. So that's a fun thing. And... Um, I have great respect for Mark and everything he does and everything he's done in the music industry. Um, most importantly and currently in his career, he had an album come out um, in 2019 called High Waterline. Um, and, you know, obviously wasn't able to do a whole lot of touring on that because, you know, 2020 happened after after 2019. But his new album is just phenomenal. Um, and I'm going to play a couple, uh, a couple tracks off of that as well. Um, but High Waterline definitely check out the album um i'm not even going to talk i'm not going to try to talk about the album i'm just going to play you a couple tracks so you'll get that in just a second but um great guy great conversation i'm glad we got to finally sit down we've chatted online many times but are, are finally got to uh well we we're still online finally got to zoom um Okay, sound good. I'll stop talking. Let's just jump into the episode. I'm going to start things off with a uh, track off of High Waterline called Julia. Folks, I'm now on Patreon at patreon.com slash Andy Sido, S-Y-D-O-W. Um, I post up little clips from the podcast that aren't heard other places. For instance, I just um, had to sit down with Mickey Raphael, who's been Willie Nelson's harmonica player for the last 50 years. And aside from the interview I posted on the internet, um, there's another five, six minute clip of some really cool stuff, him talking about the finer points of harmonica. And that's just on Patreon if you'd like to listen to that part of it. I also post up exclusive tracks. I do production breakdowns of my songs. I will pull up the Logic session and kind of show um, why I did what I did and go through the session. It's fun stuff do live streams and things like that. So if you'd like to join my Patreon community, it's patreon.com slash Andy Sido, S-Y-D-O-W. You can join for as little as $3 a month. 
Quick thanks to our sponsors. First, Patrick at PQ Mastering. PQ Mastering puts the finishing touches on this podcast. And for your audio or restoration needs, go to pqmastering.com. Also, Narrator Music. Visit narratorrf.com for simple and affordable licensing for sync. If you have any inquiries about sponsorships for this show, shoot me an email at middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. What's happening, Mark? Oh, hey, 
Good to see you, Andy. Yeah, it's good to it's good to finally uh, hear your voice. We've communicated online uh, quite a bit, but it's good to, you know, we're we're not in person, but you know, right. somewhat in person. Well, this this is the next. Well, this is the new in person. So yeah, I mean, yeah, that we get to do this. So it's uh, it's really really effective. And and yeah, there's so many. I mean, there's of course there's down the downside to it, but I like that. There's a lot of positives. I mean, I can you can reach out and connect with you. You know, almost any time. So I mean, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. As an artist, do you think there's a, a happy medium that you're going to have to find going forward between the in-person and the online? I think so. But I mean, you know, especially with, you know, what we've gone through with the pandemic so far, I think that, I mean, I, I'm going to take a, for me personally, I'm going to take a really kind of slow entry back into the playing again, I think, just to be really careful about it, A, but also to use more things, um, to do more videos, to do more things like this um, and try to do a more of a balance because then it becomes, I think you feel more empowered. It's not like you're trying to chase the gig all the time and chasing the gig all the time can just be killer. As you know, I mean, it's like, oh, now I'm going to play these four shows and and I've got to, uh, I've really got to plan out um, you know, where they are as far as uh, too close to each other, because I've got a specific amount of audience that I can get to come to certain things. So this kind of thing is, you know, it's the, uh, uh, I think, uh, that bridge that lets you us, oh, I, I'm just going to do, and you do a great job of it. I mean, just, here's a new song. I'm going to lay out this new tune. And all of a sudden, every, you know, your, your followers go, oh, Andy just did something new. And you're front of mind again. And there's a real personal connection, which I think is, we can't get sometimes when, even when we're performing live. I mean, there's that, there's distance of, of being on stage and, and not being able to touch people, but you can actually stop and, and say, Hey, how are you doing today? And yeah, I mean, in a real way, like you're looking right at one person and it really feels good. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think one thing I've noticed over the last year is technology. And I know we're all using technology, but I mean, the cutting edge stuff, you know, it seemed like was being used by, by young people, by people doing, um, you know, in the hip hop world or in the sure. EDM world or whatever. Um, and now, I mean, over the last year, we've seen the Americana folk scene say, well, hey, wait a minute. I don't just have to sit here in a bar with my acoustic guitar. I can use some of this technology too <laughs> and push my music out. And that's been neat to watch. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it goes across all genres and all age groups now, too, because uh, there's specific, you know, you can hit specific people. And uh, if the Facebook crowd wants to watch this or if the TikTok crowd is doing that, I mean, you know, you can tailor what you're doing that way. Yeah. And uh, and without maybe without maybe a lot of, uh, you know, trying to do specific things for specific ones, for, you know, finding your identity and be able to put it in different places. So yeah, that's yeah. real. I mean, that's I mean, it is. I mean, that's the whole thing to me about being in the industry for a long time is that that whole sense of trying to hold on to your career and try to guide it some way. And this is another tool, I think, that can give you that uh, uh, immediacy with your audience. And I think that's so important, especially, you know, because I know that I mean, I really I feel comfortable talking to people. And um, uh, this is another way just to do that. I mean, just that conversational thing yeah. about you know, what's going on. This is a song I wrote about that feeling that, you know, I just had it, you know, explain what it, what it was about and say, yeah, I really needed to share this. So, yeah, yeah you can do it. So it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. What, so what what did you do, um, you know, to to what did you do with your music in, in 2020 or what did you do in general? I mean, you put out this album in 2019, you put out a full length album, High Waterline. Right. And then and then bang, that's it. Things change. So what did you do over the last year? Um, boy, I did a lot of remodeling in my house. <laughs> that's what I did physically. I mean, I, yeah. I did that. I started, it was interesting because if you remember, we went back to, um, uh, my journey was just chronolo chronologically was that my daughter is uh, uh, in, in the Netherlands right now. We took her in February to go to work on, she's doing a master's degree just outside of Amsterdam. So, I mean, it's like, she's, she's having a great time, but yeah. we came back and the pandemic was beginning to, you know, close things down. And, but there was still so much unsure, unsure about what it was. And I had had this sense after we're doing high waterline that I wanted to record more at my little studio here. Cause we do, I, I rehearse, you know, you're probably the same way you have a group of musicians you play with and we rehearse things and then we go perform. It's like, you know, 
if we just rehearse these new songs and I throw the mics up, why don't we just record that, you know, become more of a studio thing here. So at the beginning of the pandemic, I bought a bunch of microphones. I got a new interface and sort of just sort of seeing how it was going to roll out. And then, you know, what happened happened as far as the amount of, um, you know, things being locked down and not being able to to really connect with people. And so I kind of pushed back from that. And then and I had a bunch of new songs that are newer songs and some very new songs that did not make the last record because, you know, you, you they're like they're like a, you know, a color coordinated kind of thing where you put certain things together in a group and you go, oh, that's a great song, but it's not going to fit on this one. So I had some of those ready to go. And then plus I was writing some new ones. And so um, I was thinking about just going, doing the same thing again, where I would, I, uh, you know, send out my guitar track and vocal track and let people play on it. But I still really want to do that thing about getting back playing live. I mean, I did yeah. so many years where I didn't, uh, I was behind the, the desk as a producer and also um, composing things and stuff and not playing with people live. So over the last two years when I, with High Waterline, I got to do that again. And it's like, oh man, I don't ever want to go back to not, interacting with people in the studio. I mean, even laying my stuff down for real when it goes, when it's going down. So um, yeah, I was set up to do that. And then um, we got, you know, the pandemic just kind of closed all that stuff off. And so I I decided not to um, start sending tracks out just to have, oh, your drums will be added here. This will be added there and just sort of wait. And also started writing some new songs, but I'll tell you, honestly, emotionally, and I think I saw some of the things that you were writing and talking about too. The pain that we've gone through as a nation with, you know, with the numbers that people have died is staggering to me. And it was, I still don't emotionally know how to deal with it. I've got some new songs that I'm trying to say those things. Yeah. Uh, Cause I don't know where they belong. I mean, I'm shocked that how, how we did not respond in the greatest generation kind of way Politics of, you know, uh, nothing to do with politics. I mean, right. there, it's, of course it is to do with politics, but take the right. politics out of it, you know, but just doing the public health things that we didn't do. And um, and so I'm still kind of trying to figure that out. I mean, I, a good friend of mine just lost his sister and I had a, s- a song that I was writing about that exact experience about being behind the glass and not being able to say goodbye to your loved ones. I mean, and it kills me that that, that happens and it still happens. So... Um, long story short, I mean, that's kind of what I was, I've done during the pandemic. And I'm still to that point right now where um, I, I think, I'm, I mean, as I say, I, as far as production stuff, I think I'm going to go back to just trying to finish this last group of tunes and begin to release them. Uh, just low, you know, just maybe it's just me playing guitar and singing yeah. uh, to start out and just to get make that contact again. When you certainly have the ability to do that where you're at too, you know the the live streams I've seen of yours, you have, you know, it's top notch oh, sound you. quality. You know, thank you're you. you're able to get that at home, which is a really cool thing. Um, yeah. You know, before you can before you can get back in with people, did, have you did you lose did you lose any any friends? Um, not not necessarily not to the pandemic, but I mean, did you lose any any friends or any community? You know, you're talking about. It kind of how the country responded to things and I yeah. it, not political, but it is at the same yeah. time. Did you d- did you find that you got your wires twisted with anyone that you've been friends with for a long time or, um, you know, if you continue to accept everybody? It's <laughs> <laughs> a weird. Question. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, I, there was definitely some I definitely let go of some people and it wasn't about and that's the thing is it wasn't about. I didn't, it wasn't that I didn't respect their viewpoint. It was just that there was so much hate behind it. And I could not, especially on Facebook, I could not let that happen. It was just like, I'm sorry. I, you know, I, I, whether your, whether your point of view is valid or not, I'm not even talking about that. It's just that there's so much anger as far as, you know, what you're saying. And, and um, it, it, yeah, I, I did. I, and I, it was family members too, that, that was, so it was really tough Yeah. that, um, um, and I still, have, I mean, you know, I'm willing to look at that again, but I, it was just, I just wanted to have less of that noise in, in kind of my, uh, my internet uh, spaces. And so, yeah, I, I definitely did lose some people that, and, and it wasn't, you know, as I say, it was never, I was never yelling at anybody or telling them that, you know, uh, you're wrong and this kind of stuff. It was just that I couldn't 
with you know because I you want you probably saw my post. I mean, for a long time I was yeah. posting daily the benchmarks of okay, three thousand people died today. Today, you know, so that was the same as as the uh, as the nine uh, eleven, you know, and then the Vietnam markers and all this other stuff. So it was like when someone else was 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 complaining about some other stupid thing or do, not talking about we're not wearing a mask or something else, it's like I just cannot deal with you. Yeah. I mean, this is so serious that. Um, so yeah, long yeah I did. <laughs> yeah, I did lose. But I mean, as I'm saying, and that's some of that's come back. But um, yeah. you know, it kind of this kind of revealed a lot about who we are, I think. Yeah. And um, and what's important to people. So. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So jumping back a little bit, how did you first get into music? I mean, you've been doing this a long time. You've done uh, children's records. You've yeah. done your solo stuff. You've been a producer, a composer. Um, you've done, you've played with some amazing groups. You've done a lot of things. What was the first fire where you said, I, I'd like to do that. I'd like to do music. Um, yeah, you know, I was, I was thinking about that cause I was, I had to write it, write it up for some kind of interview. And it was this, that idea that, um, I really was kind of lost. I mean, as far as, um, uh, you know, what to do with my life as a, 10 year old, you know, I mean, you know, th beginning to think about that at what interests were, but music was always there. So it was uh, just sort of by default, it was the thing that always, uh, for somebody that I felt like I was really shy and kind of introverted, those, the, those musical moments when I'd hear uh, a specific song or something like that would light me up in a way that was, oh, I, I need to pursue that. So, I mean, I was in high school bands in um, uh, college, you know, played bands in, in college and then started playing professionally. And it was just more, it was just the thing, it was the one thing that I knew I loved. I mean, I, and I didn't even know if I was good at it at the time, but it was just, I love this. Yeah. So that, you know, the old adage about, you know, do something that you love when you never work a day in your life. So it was really that kind of thing. And, um, and then in really learning how to begin to listen and interact with people, because yeah. um, it was, uh, I, I think, yeah, that, that's once I began to listen to what I was really listening to what I was doing, what people around me were doing, then your skill level begins to go up because you you have to become self-critical and go, yeah, you know, that really doesn't work. What do I need to do to get better at that? So yeah. I was definitely wanted to, uh, you know, get into this thing uh, long term. And so as my career has, I mean, as I say, yeah, I, I got to play with um, uh, Firefall and Pure Prairie League and some other bands back in the in the 80s. And then as things progressed, I, I wanted to stay, you know, you get it to a certain point where, and I was playing, but this was the thing, I was playing in Firefall in the 80s when people of my generation were staying home. They were having their babies. And so we were, I was on that rough patch just after the band had had a bunch of hits. And, um, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't big crowds for us. And now they do really well because there's, there's, a, there's a whole market for that too, which is wonderful. And those guys are great. Yeah. But um, so I, I got I started doing studio work. And so when my first son was born, it was like, I'm not going to be on the road anymore. I want to stay home and, and catch this. Yeah. And so I started doing I was making more money doing studio work than going out on the road and playing. So right. I started as a singer. I started doing that. I started producing some things. I, I got to I don't know how I was trying to remember how I got hooked up with the Oprah Winfrey show, but I started composing music for that. Yeah. And um, and and just, you know, broadcast stuff, which is wonderful. If you want to get your chops up as far as being able to turn something around fast, it's like, oh, yeah, we need that stem. We need we need that. We love your piece at you know nine o'clock in the morning. I need it completely reassembled and done. And you need to ship it to me by three o'clock in the afternoon for broadcast later today. So it's yeah. like, oh, OK, <laughs> how yeah. do I do that? Yeah. And so it's, it's a great teaching moment, you know. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of stuff to jump into from there. So let's start off with yeah. this. How did you first get involved with um, Pure Prairie League and Firefall? Well, that's it's so funny that that's the kind of thing you um, I'm in. The, I'm in Boulder playing in bands and um, uh, a friend of mine. I was in a in a cover band with a friend of mine and he was happened to have the gig uh, with Pure Prairie League as their saxophone player. And uh, they needed a singer. Uh, Craig Fuller had left the band. Vince Gill had just left the band, actually. And they yeah. needed a singer for a tour. So I went out with them and um, I just did one tour with them, but it was great. And it sort of gave me a taste of what this, what, you know, even, you know, back, even back then, what the big league was about, because we did a lot of big shows. And it was and really cool. And I got to sing Amy every night. So it was really fun. So you were singing lead. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow. Well, it was one of those things where they, where they, you know, it's, and I've, Firefall is the same way that there's different people that sing leads, but I was doing a lot predominantly because I took Craig Fuller, Fuller's spot. Yeah. Um, and, uh, or Vince Gill's spot too. Um, wow. So, yeah. So that was fun. And then after that, I was, came back home and, and I was just, again, playing in bands around Boulder. And I had gone to LA to try to do a couple things and it hadn't worked out, but I was in a basketball league uh, with a bunch of, with Patrick Cully, who's good friends of Joe Walsh and producer and all these other producer musical people in town. Yeah. And Jock Bartley from Firefall was in the league and, and we connected through that and he came out and saw me sing. And then I ended up, and he said, well, God, you, I, they needed a singer in Firefall. So I ended up doing that for eight years. So it was just, but, and again, just the community of friends that you know as musicians and you get, oh, what about him? Because you're in, you're working and you're doing, you know, you're doing your craft and, yeah. um, and uh, you, you know, the opportunity knocks and you take it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what's that like going from going around playing in bands? I'm imagining you, you playing at two loggies or whatever, whatever's around then. Right. And then all of a sudden you're on a tour um, where you're selling yeah. out huge venues. I mean, what's that like? I mean, were you nervous going into that? And then what was it like coming back when you were back to the the same bars you were doing? Oh yeah. Well, yeah, it is. It's, it's quite the, it's quite the uh, learning curve. I mean, just in the sense that, um, and I think personally that you have to really, you know, you have to recognize the fact that, you know, these people thought that, you know, thought the value of what you do is, is enough to be part of this thing. So you need to accept that about yourself. And so it was, uh, it was pretty eye opening, especially with Firefall, because we did some nice, nicer big shows early on. Um, you know, yeah. we, we played outside in Kansas City in the middle of the city, and it was like 15,000 people right there, you know, close to us. It was really cool. And, you know, big shows that like that. And, um, um, it, you know, it was great. And, and to actually sign your name as an autograph for the first time was like, what is this about? Yeah. <laughs> this is so cool. But, you know, but, and, but, you know, then, but you all, you know, and then after the show, everyone's goofing off and stuff and, and, and pretty solid folks in that band. And so, you know, you come back down to earth, it's just fun. And you realize that uh, you, hopefully you, you, um, you take every moment in and go, yeah, this was really great. I don't know how long it'll last, but yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, it, it is quite the adjustment. I never, once I got out of Firefall, I didn't really, um, uh, do a lot of bar gigs and stuff anymore. Cause I was doing studio stuff yeah. and I really wanted to, uh, to concentrate on writing and stuff. So I was really, I didn't go back to doing a cover band again. Cause I was doing that before. Cause I just wanted to make that step. It seemed like the logical step. Okay. If I do that again, I don't want to go back and, um, and, and just basically, uh, you know, do the nine to five or the actually the nine to one kind of nine to two o'clock in the morning kind of gig anymore. I mean, I think they're great things to do. And I think you need to do it to get, you know, get your chops and get, you know, understand how to work an audience and that stuff. But at a certain point, it's like, okay, what's the next step? Yeah. Uh, you know what? That I, I've, that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Yeah. Because pre-pandemic, I was touring all over yeah. the country in Canada, but playing bars. And even at some places, even after my band had visited, a dozen times right we were still at the mercy of who happened to be in the bar that night it's not like we the story that everyone tells me there's three people the first time 10 people the second time 50 people the fourth time you know like that that, that wasn't happening and um right you know i it's, it's it, i'm doing a combination of both but i want to tour um more yeah. but it, it's just interesting to see like well is this gig benefiting me right um, you know, and, and I, I, the last few years I've done it, uh, you know, 150 gigs a year. So I've done a lot of gigs. So yeah. maybe some of these, it's time to start letting go, but it's, it's hard to say. So it's interesting to, to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing I, for, I, over the last five years, I started playing with my friend, Rebecca Folsom, who does a completely different thing. I mean, as far as she does a lot of really great house concerts, a lot of um, uh, smaller venue things. And those are wonderful. I mean, you know, yeah. the, the, the 110, 120 seat little auditorium. I mean, that would be, if, if I can go out and do that, establish that now going forward, yeah. that would be my goal is really, and maybe, you know, get on some festivals and things too, but those kind of small venue type things where, um, where you have people that really come to listen to what you do. And um, uh, that's, that's really the idea. Cause then you're not, you know, you're not doing what you're talking about. You're beating your brains up for, uh, you know, being on the road and just getting worn out 
um, yes. doing doing volume as opposed to quality, you know, the kind of thing. Well, I'm going to do I have to do all these gigs, so it looks like I'm doing a lot of work. And it's like, well, if I just did half of them, and they were all great gigs, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. probably the way to go. <laughs> yeah. um, and and so your kids were born. What year was this? Now, when you when your kids? Uh, my son was born in '91. Okay. And my daughter was born in 94. So I was, yeah, that's kind of when I got out of Firefall in 90, 91 or yeah, 91. And okay. um, so, and sort of stopped there. And were you, were you happy to do that? I mean, obviously you want to be home with your kids, but was there a point where you said, man, I, I, that there would be fun to go do that tour again. Um, or when you went into the studio thing, were you a hundred percent in with that and happy with doing that? Oh yeah, I really was. I mean, it was it was just one of those logical things. I mean, I had decided to leave leave the band, and uh, it just seemed right. I mean, I wasn't happy, and I was I was probably way more maintenance than for Jock Bartley, who's a good friend of mine, the leader of the band, than I needed to be because I was bitching about things all the time. It's like, yeah. what, you know, because we you know just as far as accommodations and stuff, and it was just those back then. I mean, the money just wasn't there. I mean, I think they had they do they have a lot better uh, financial flow now, but it was tough times. I mean, yeah. but even though we got to play and do a lot of gigs, it was it was still um, some tough things. So it was it was easy for me to stop. And plus, as I say, I I had gotten a little bit of credibility as being a singer in the studio, so I was getting used for TV stuff and and uh, and radio and some other things. So it was easy. Yeah, and and so when you went in, you know, in 1991 when you started doing that, what did a typical maybe I shouldn't even say typical day cuz you're a, a musician, but <laughs> what was a typical day like? I mean, what kind of work might you have on a on a Monday at your desk? Um, well, I mean, this was way before I, I didn't have anything here necessarily at home as far as equipment wise yet, so it was always yeah. me. I live in Boulder. It was always me going to Denver and I would possibly go down and work, um, uh, do a radio spot for somebody uh, in maybe at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock. And then I worked a lot with, with uh, and you probably know John Macy, but I worked at John Macy's studio a lot and uh, would go over there and we'd be, I uh, was working with a, a children's record label and we'd go, uh, you know, cut vocals or um, be writing with somebody down there. So it was a lot of that kind of work. And I was also uh, starting to produce people, um, uh, uh, down there and I would usually work at John's place so it was either you know that studio or another or maybe Colorado Sound with Kevin Clock um, yeah. and go there and do some kind of parts so it was that kind of work I mean it was um uh it was like it wasn't really I mean it was never really like punching the clock because it was so much fun but um yeah. there was definitely um you know just being in in the business I mean doing that kind of stuff and it was busy for you yeah it definitely was I mean there was definitely there was down times but I mean um, it was, I was definitely busy enough to, to, to make things work for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. And yeah. when you say, when you say producing records, I mean, you, you talk about producers, there's those people that are the tech savvy producers that if you put them in a random studio, they know how to run the board and get everything set up. And then there's the, you know, the musical idea producers. And of course the, the combination of the two, but right. were you, were you one or the other, or were you self-sustaining as an engineer producer at the same time with artists? Um, a little bit of both. I mean, I, I'd usually, um, I'm James Tuttle is a, uh, engineer here in, in this area. That's just fab fabulous. And I've used him as the master engineer on a lot of the stuff that I work on. I mean, I can definitely, um, drive a session once I, you know, have the layout of the console and that kind of stuff. But a lot of the time I would rather, especially working with the artists one-to-one, -one, make sure that emotionally that we're connected on what, what needs to happen that day in the studio and that the ideas are flowing and that kind of piece may, you know, that, that, that the artist feels really held. And so that, I mean, I, I feel like I can do both pretty well, but I mean, I definitely, that, that idea about knowing your limitations is really important because yeah. there's definitely people that can do the, the engineering part way better than I can. I mean, I can dial in and get a pretty good mix happening, but I'll have somebody else come in to finish like James. Um, yeah. and, and I'm really, but I think my strength is probably more the musical idea um, kind of thing. And like, well, what happened if, how about if we, you know, double the chorus and if, if we take the bridge and we'll put eight bars in front of this and, and add that part and we'll double the solo with something else. So those yeah. kind of ideas is really what, what feels good. And that's where the juice comes from and the electricity of, of producing things. Yeah, absolutely. And who are, who are some of the artists you produced? Um, just locally. I mean, I worked with Steve Manchell, who was with, um, uh, uh, with Firefall for a long time. Um, my, my good friend, Scott Johnson, who's a local artist that's done, I think I've done four or five CDs with him. 
my friend Lisa Bell worked with her. I should have got my some CDs out that I've worked with because I I forget after all these years. But a lot of local people that uh, have come through. And I, plus, I I also got I, I worked with Chris Daniels a good bit. I got to sing a lot of vocals on Richie Furet's uh, CDs that he did um, for Calvary uh, Calvary Chapel back in the day, and which is always it was was always so much fun because. You know, Richie being in Buffalo Springfield, any part you sing with him sounds like you're in Buffalo Springfield. He has his voice is so distinctive. We would yeah. blend together and it was like, oh, they're, they're, this sounds just like something right off of uh, the first their first record. So, yeah, um, I got to do a lot of that kind of stuff where he would just turn it over to me and let me produce the vocals, which was silly because he's such a great singer. And is one of those all shucks kind of guys like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. It's like, Richie, you know exactly what you're doing. You're fantastic yeah. at this. But I would kind of direct traffic and. And uh, if we had parts that were uh, clashing a little bit, we'd talk about what would work and you want to do this one or that one. And, and uh, I would kind of lay that out for him. But yeah. brilliant, brilliant singers and brilliant artists. It amazes me some of the artists that live in Colorado and, or, you know, when I was when I'm talking with you or yeah. I chatted with Hazel yesterday or Chris a couple of weeks ago and they're talking yeah. about. You know, oh yeah, you know, and Joe Walsh at the grocery store or, or whatever. There's just all these things and there still is a lot of artists here, but it just amazes me hearing some of these stories um you know yeah. i i only recently found out richie was a preacher i think in Louisville, which is the town i grew up in for many oh years. no kidding wow yeah yeah and i just thought what a small crazy world and also maybe we just live in a in such a beautiful area that you know yeah well that was the thing that drew me here originally i mean i when i came out into uh colorado from virginia in 75 76 the first time i mean that was definitely the the allure of uh, you know, Gold Hill and Stephen Stills and all these other and Fogelberg and people like that, that was definitely going on. Yeah. And I knew this whole story of Walsh being here. And, and so that was, uh, um, that was definitely part of the, the charm of what it was. And plus, I was in Boulder, uh, in the, the late 70s, early 80s, when there was clubs, there was, I don't know, a dozen clubs on the mall. I mean, within you could walk in an evening and catch eight bands. I mean, like that. And they were all, you know, it was happening everywhere. The Walrus, J.J. Uh, McCabe's, the Blue Note. I mean, it just on and on and on. It was great. It was, wow. it was, it was the zenith of, if you had a band, you could, you could gig and it was cool. Yeah. It, has that changed? I mean, and have you seen the, cha the scene in Colorado change in, in positive or negative ways in, in the last, you know, few oh, decades? Yeah. Yeah, and, and without beating up Boulder, I mean, there was just, I, I think that it, the example would be look at Fort Collins. I mean, I know, uh, I think Pat Stryker and I think actually Nick Forrester helped her put this together, this idea that of having a more of a bohemian musical section downtown that stayed intact. Man, you, uh, at, uh, is, is it Bohemian Nights or the, the thing that they do in the, in the fall? I'm going to get yeah. crucified for not saying this right, but uh, whatever the fest is there. Yeah, I mean, New, you go, New West Fest. New West Fest, yes. Yeah. And um, you go up and there's, there's clubs everywhere. And the it's so vibrant, and that's exactly what we had in Boulder in the, in the you know in the seventies into the eighties, and then sort of corporate interest took over and pushed that out. I think, and and we have we've suffered. I mean, the, the city's great, but we've suffered. We don't have that anymore, mm -hmm. and 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 that was such a shame. I think because Fort Collins has got it going on like crazy for that. Oh, and yeah. and I think yeah, it's wonderful. So I mean, I've seen that that change, and and I think it just depends on. If you have people that want to hold on to that um, that legacy, and, and also the 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 uh, the downtown area of Fort Collins has still got a lot of the older buildings, and we've we've raised a lot of them here in Boulder. I mean, they've just they get knocked down, and we don't we don't have that anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And do you still do a lot of producing and engineering stuff now? Uh, I do a little bit. Actually, I've worked. I, I I've been. I got this gig about five years ago where I do I edit podcast for the legal oh. industry. <laughs> it's really? called, yeah, it's called legal talk network and it's lawyers talking about, you know, all these, these current legal issues that are coming on. So, I mean, I love, I'm fascinated by that anyway. So I, I get to do a lot of uh, podcast editing and I do some, do some, uh, uh, I'm working with an artist in, uh, in Colorado Springs right now where he's sending me his, his demos and we're, I'll, I'll cut the demos up and kind of get, get form for him and say, how, what about this and this kind of deal? So I, I still do some of that. I'm really more thinking about focusing on, on, you know, my next step as far as what's the next, next record look like. Yeah. Um, and I saw, you know, like what you just did, where you put out three songs. Yeah. I think I'm going to be doing a lot more of that 
not biting off a big chunk, just like, well, here's a small bite of what, where, where I'm at right this minute yeah. and put that out as opposed to, you know, you know, working on something for a year and a half. I can't do that anymore. I want to work on something for a month and call it good. And you put know? it out. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So is that, um, I mean, you're talking about, you've got all these demos recorded that at home that you want to work with. Is that, right. um, do you have any plans like, Hey, I'm going to release three of these in August. Um, you know, is what's, what's the next step there? That would probably be, yeah, that's probably good timing for me. I'm, I've got some um, personal stuff I've got to deal with this year. I mean, as far as my mom has been here in town for, uh, since uh, my mom and dad moved up about six years ago, my dad passed away, but I'm going to relocate my mom back East. And so I've got a little bit of that going on with, with the, the pandemic remodel going on in my home. So I'm yeah. trying to take care of, put a couple of those fires out and then um, sit back down again and, and uh and try to do that like do august that's actually a great that's what i was thinking about late august to put the next three songs out or maybe it might even be just one at a time but at least three and begin to get back into that pattern of being letting myself be the artist again because i get i put the hard hat on or i put the grab the hammer and i forget about it yeah and uh, yeah so because well you know i mean if when you're a musician you, you have to be able to do almost anything just to get by Right. And we've all we've all had different kind of jobs and that are non-musical, yeah. uh, just just pay the bills. And do you see yourself touring on on some of these new songs again if you're able to you do house concerts and things like yes. that? Yes, that's that's the idea, and I really want to pursue that. I have so many friends around the country that uh, that live in these cool places, and I want to be able to contact them and say, look, uh, I, well, I can't think what the name of the tour was going to be. Two cots and a two cots and a hot. I mean, my wife and I would go play and just you know do a uh, do a show. And um, um, but but make that part of this this experience of just getting away from Boulder and, and checking out the rest of the country and, and hopefully overseas, too. But, yeah, I would definitely like to find those those great venues, find, you know, a, a, a dozen of those around the country or more mm -hmm. and be able to to frequent and go back to them. And uh, yeah. And, and what's made you what what's made you come back um, to this to this part of your career? I mean, this. Did did you have another uh, solo record that came out before? I mean, I, I know you've done the children's stuff, but like yeah. just a you know a Mark record. Twenty nineteen is your is your first one of those. Yeah, I know it's your, yeah. I, I waited long enough, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I've been thing is I've been writing and I've been, I've had uh, people have covered some of my songs on different records on their records, and it was just you know for whatever reason it was like it was time um, to to. Uh, you know, because it's the, the 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 clock is always ticking and it's ticking more and more all the time. So it was time to get that out. And it was just more about and you know it. I mean, it's that whole thing about uh, musicians always feeling, you know, inadequate that they're going to find out, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing and stuff. And I've lived with that fear of yeah. not being accepted as a songwriter forever. I mean, that that would be the most crushing thing in the world that if I would have put this record out and is like, oh, you can't write a song. I mean, at least people saying that. I mean, I can hold on to it and say, sure, I can. But I mean, I just wanted to be able to, to I love the craft so much that I want to be able to, you know, be able to write a solid song. They don't all have to be hits or they don't have to be great, but be able to craft a, you know, a piece of music that communicates to people. And so there was a lot of, there was so much fear wrapped up in that. And that, uh, that was why it took so long. Yeah. 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 Well, it's a great record. Oh, thank you. Thank it's you. A great record. I think yeah. I, I don't know if I can even say I have a favorite, but I really like Julia a lot. Oh, thank you. That yeah. you know, that's one of the that was one of the older tunes on the record that I recorded with uh we had a deal, a, a sort of a deal with a pre C or CBS records back in the late 80 or 80 like 90. And we went to LA and recorded that song and a bunch of other ones. Um, but it um was one of those well those record deals where the you know at the end something happened and we didn't get distribution or, you know, classic. Uh, we got paid a little bit and that was it kind of thing. I don't think, I don't know if it ever got released. It get no, it actually got released in Europe and I get my, my, my $3 royalty every once in a while from that song, but that's about it. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's something that's more than I'm getting on, on my song. <laughs> oh um, man. <laughs> um, so you've done all these different things. Um, and, and I relate to you a lot in that because I, you know, though my 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 artist career is my primary thing. There's all these other things going on, whether yeah. it's the podcast or studio work or producing or composing, right? Playing gigs at the steakhouse, 
um, yeah. you know, three nights a week. There's, there's just, it's, are you doing that now? Are you, are you doing that right now? Yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah. I just started back up again. So I'm taking, wow. taking the gigs while I can. And, and is that a, is that a three hour gig, four hour gig? What is that? It's a four, which oh. I always say is a lot longer than one hour longer than a three hour gig. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, and you predominantly predominantly play your material? Well, so for that gig, it is it's like a fancy seafood steakhouse suit and tie gig. And so they mm -hmm. want covers. However, oh. and, and the repertoire is so big, we can just kind of play whatever yeah. at this point. But right. I throw in tons of originals. Right. And, oh, good. And I, and I take my guitar original. It's piano trio. So I take my guitar originals and try them out on piano. Oh, it's nice. a ton of fun. And, uh, you know, it's nice rehearsal time. It can get long some nights, but it's nice rehearsal time. And right. uh, no one's ever said anything about us playing originals. In fact, we get compliments on them a lot. And I just say, thanks. It's an old Dylan tune and move on. <laughs> See, that's what I was going to say. Your tunes are so solid and your, your craft is so strong that they feel like that. Oh, yeah, that is a Dylan song. No, it's not. It's mine. But, you know, it's that's that sense that, that you're, you know, you know what you're doing and it sounds great. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate it, but I just say that because uh, you know yeah. I don't want to get in trouble. I exactly, I know, but I'm just saying, yeah. But they, they would pass off as a Paul Simon or whatever, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah, sure. Well, I appreciate yeah. that a lot. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. So my my question along those lines is: doing all these different things that you're doing, do you ever have you ever in your career um, mm -hmm. had a fear of staying relevant in what you're doing? Well, yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing about, you know, I'm 66 years old. I mean, there's there's ageism that I sense. Yeah. And I mean, I just wrote something that um, that feels like, well, yeah, you'll hear it before too long. It feels sort of like a police kind of a thing. And I, you know, I grew up, I mean, that was formative years for me listening to, to, to Sting as a writer. But I don't hear, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, as a producer, I can hear where that, the, where it's coming from. But um uh, and I have to be careful about. Well, I'm trying to. How do I try to say this? Is that I, I am worried about, you know, uh, about being relevant. But I mean, I think that every time I, I get go start to go down that 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 rabbit hole, it's like, well, just you know, speak the truth that you as you hear it. If it, if it's wrapped in a device that sounds like something else, I mean, that's what it is. I mean, there's a song on on the High Waterline thing that is a there's couple. I mean, the, the um, living imitation is completely a, a, a nod towards Paul Simon. And I did it on purpose. It was like, yeah. it was it was an older tune. And I went, I need to get this one recorded because it's been sitting around for a long time. And I really like the song, but it, it is in that style. I mean, whether it's relative or not, I mean, uh, 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 relatable now or, or, or relevant is, is I can't worry about it. And there's another tune yeah. that's the uh, poet in the corner that's completely Jackson Brown. And I mean, I... Uh, unabashedly and I, i'm a great admirer of what he does and i right, tried right. to take his style and um and do something with it but and make you know how i would how i would go after that yeah, but i think yeah. you know relevance is about honesty i think and if yeah. you're being honest about uh, something that touches you and you can you know reach out and touch someone else with it i mean as far as what you're saying if you get to that core then i then you know whatever you wrap it up in um, it doesn't matter as much. I mean, that's what I love about your writing so much is because there's this sense of timelessness about it. I mean, I hear, I mean, for me, I hear Randy Newman things. I hear other stuff when you're playing the piano specifically. Right. And then I go, well, no, but that's, that's Andy right now. I mean, that's yeah. who he, he is right this minute. And I'm just hearing your influence, but it doesn't yeah. make it any less relevant. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, and I think it's so, so satisfying when you have an influence and you're able to create something yeah. original in their style right you know it feels good because that's the kind of music yes. you like to listen to right yeah well plus you i mean it, i mean I, I always love that when you can come up with a device and you play something for somebody and they go gosh it that feels so good it feels like i've heard it before but they haven't but you've reinvented the thing that they kind of worked on and it, you brought it through you and it's like wow it, it feels fresh again which is yeah. really just wonderful but it still feels at home yep. yeah yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when you first came to Colorado in the 70s, did you have a particular goal in mind for yourself in the music industry? I want to accomplish X. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I, I you know, just uh, I was in my early 20s. I wanted to be a rock star. I mean, I, I wanted yeah. to be successful in the business. And this is yeah. where people were doing that, not realizing that the thing that uh, I think Colorado back then was holding was, was this was a place where the rock stars would go to hang out. They weren't, yeah. they weren't, they, there wasn't really a career base here yet. And so um, those were still in, on the coast and, and in Nashville and, and beginning to be in Austin. But um, yeah, yeah I, I, I definitely wanted to be, you know, start in the business and, and become famous and do the whole thing. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah, that you know, it's really cool looking at your at your body of work and all the things you've done um, the, mm. over the last few decades. Just the the wonderful songwriting, the production. Thank um, you. And then as you know, as I was digging deeper, and and I don't know anything about these children's records, but I was reading you're doing all, did all these children's records and stuff yeah. to it. It must be really satisfying to look back, you know, on the last few decades and say, "Wow, I did a lot of really cool things. I met a lot of really cool people," um, and in and you've made a living in music for a long, long time. Right. Um, well, and plus I've had, but I had great support with my wife, Linda, who yeah. is a computer programmer that, who does, okay. who really, you know, it's that, you know, the idea of, uh, I, and there's, there's the, there's a joke in there about the musician with, you know, that he actually has a wife that works. It's, it's a good thing. Yeah. But uh, cause she has really uh, been our mainstay, but it's, it's allowed me to be more, you know, creative and to pick and choose a little bit, but yeah, I, I definitely have made a living uh, as a musician and it, it, but it took a lot of, you know, you have to be agile. I mean, to be able to, um, uh, take certain things and, and, uh, have different skill sets for different stuff. And I, that's, I mean, that's what pushed me to be more of an engineer early on, because, um, I realized that I'd have to have something here at the house to, to be able to work on. I mean, I had ADATs and all that stuff back in the day. Yeah. Um, but, but, um, yeah, so it, but you, I think that's the whole thing. You have to be able to do a Jack of all trades to be able to sustain in the business. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. speaking of jack of all trades, one thing you brushed over earlier that we haven't dug into yet was your the stuff you did with Oprah. Oh, right. You know, sure. For, the, for composing music for that. How did that gig come about? You know, I was trying to think of that. I was one of the guys, I think it was one of the guys, uh, Chris Ball was a writer for um, on one of the early Jumpin' Jazz Kids records that I did. Yeah. And he had that he had that gig somehow. And um it was this thing called Studio 54, uh, the company. And he suggested that I submit some, you know, 30 second pieces for that. And I already had uh, my Pro Tools set up and, and a looping library and a bunch of stuff. And so I started doing that. So it was, um, uh, uh, and this was just before really libraries took off, you know, because yeah. now you can, everything is basically, you just go to the library and grab it. We were, at that time, there was a group of us that were supplying those libraries, a whole bunch of people in the United States wow. doing it. But um, um, I got hooked into the Oprah show. So that was one that was was so cool about that was, as I said before, was that, you know, you would, they would say, here's what we need for the week. She's doing a thing about poverty or or hunger or something, and you need to write a piece about it and put it together. And then if the producers liked it, they would um, they would call you literally or, you know, you'd get the email and say, OK, we need this by the end of the day. Um, yeah. I need you to rework this and add this and this and this and do it. So um, it was a, it was for I don't know, I think it was probably about five years. I got to do that on and off. And it was it was fun because, I mean, you really had to have your shit to excuse me, <laughs> your shit yeah, together, <laughs> your shit together to make it happen. Well, yeah. it so was this like acoustic guitar songwriting stuff or was yeah. this all kinds of instruments? Well, mostly, I mean, I, I didn't play acoustic that much. I was mostly doing keyboard kind of things. I mean, I can, I can sort of play the piano in the studio. I wouldn't, I would, I'd be afraid to do it at live. I'm just not that solid with it yet, but I, in the studio, I could pull it off and um, doing a lot of different uh, texture kind of stuff. And, you know, these are, these are a short piece, uh, a short 30 second bumper with a, uh, um, with a theme that rolls through it and it would be, you know, with a different instrument leading the theme. So it was just stuff to, to play as the head of a piece or underneath the bed of something where somebody was doing a narrative. So it was good. I mean, I learned how to do a lot of that stuff. And from there, I ended up doing film score for uh, some local, um, uh, some local film uh, filmmakers and yeah. learning how to do uh, underscores for those. And for the film scoring, was that, um, what, what was the instrumentation like for that? Same kind of stuff. I mean, it, kind of it was, as I say, I, I, it was all a one-man shop. I would, uh, every once in a while, I would use Christian Teal or someone else to play percussion or drums on something. But most of the time, it was because of time and budget. 
it was you know my drum library and then i would uh, layer in the uh, the keys as needed and, and textures and you know develop a theme um, a lot of flutes, a lot of violins that I had pretty good samples with that I could play to, to create the things I needed to do. It was fun. Plus you're, you're scoring the picture, which is, doesn't get any better than that. You're actually watching something and playing. And that was the, the great learning thing about that is when you're doing those kind of scores is that, um, you know, you talk about the last hour never being or being longer than it feels like at a gig. When you have to stretch a theme over 64 bars, you know, it's like, well, this, I can't, this is this yeah. whole long thing that you have to hang on and then it's gently going to move and then I'm going to add ding, you know, and then yeah. and then 16 bars later you get to bong dong, you know, and so, yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. It's just patience was, and I, because I did a lot of, also for Gaim, I did a lot of Rodney Yee and Muriel Hemingway's uh, yoga type things where there would be this gorgeously shot video on top of a mountain where somebody would be doing these poses and so I would score underneath that. And it's just, I mean, it was the most Zen thing of just holding the music, finding a sound you loved and let it hold and just gently build something. So it would, yeah, just push the thing forward. But yeah, and it's really, and you know, this as a pop musician, I mean, everything is three minutes long. I mean, at yeah. least you're thinking about when it's over that you're going like, yeah, what's I need to cut or uh, so when, yeah, it, it was such a great exercise for me to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I bet so. I bet so. Yeah. Um, so what advice do you have for, um, as a closing thought, what advice do you have for young musicians in, in sustainability um, in the industry? I think that, you know, the, the flexibility thing, I think, is really important. I mean, and in, 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 um, being able to be able to do a lot of different things uh, as far as the production part of it. Um, um, you know, with there's so many and so many different media outlets you, you can use. I, I think the thing I would be afraid of, and I think that I kind of got this even at my age during the pandemic. This idea that how the industry pushes you so hard to always be top of mind, always be uh, you know on top of, of 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 everyone's consciousness. And I think that you need to find a balance to find make sure that you're happy with what what it what what you're doing at the time as the artist. And if it yeah. takes another week or two to do something, then do that and be able to be proud of what you did as opposed to just throwing, you know, throwing things out at the wall to see if they stick, just to make sure that you're, you know, you're raising your hand that everyone can see me. And yeah. um, uh, as I say that during the pandemic, I just sort of had that epiphany. It's like, I don't need to chase that as hard as I was trying to chase it. And I would much rather, um, you know, continue to reach out to people but but do it in a way that is um, that makes you feel good as an artist, and um, that you, as I say, you're not there's no um, gun to your head saying I've got to put this out every Monday. I have to do this. I have to have to have to. And I right. think that there, you know, you have to just find that balance so you don't feel like you're crazed about it all the time. Because sure. you you know because the thing that people respect is that the honesty and the thing that you bring. Yeah. And if you can't you know kind of sit in yourself and feel honest about what you're doing, it's like well, you know. Uh, who you you know you you're, you're going to burn out and you're not going to do your best work so yeah yeah absolutely well as um did did we cover everything is there anything else that we need to jump into i was trying to think uh, what else uh um i think we're good i was if there anything any other crazy stories that i was going to tell you but i can't yeah think of yeah it. if you have any crazy stories throw them in no <laughs> no, no. Well, yeah they, you know just normal normal road things that we went through uh, being on the road with the band, as you know very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but nothing, nothing, nothing too wacky. Yeah. But um, but I ne never never destroyed any rooms or any of that stuff. Good. There's just no reason. <laughs> no reason uh, to. But it was you know it's been fun. I mean I've been I felt so blessed that um, of being able to work with so many great people. That was I think that's one of the things too is I think if you if you if you really work on your craft and stay in the game and are you know and be, be, a, be a show up kind of person. I mean, just be a, you know, that's the thing about the people I've worked with that didn't, you know, at some point you can be the greatest player in the world, but if you, if you're an asshole, <laughs> if you are, yeah. you're not going to, the phone will quit ringing. Yeah. And so, uh, and that's that I've, have, I've been so fortunate to work with such great folks. I mean, I sat in a room and for two days and sang with Al Jarreau back in the day on my record. And here's arguably the greatest jazz singer of all time. And I'm getting to teach him, I mean, the, the melody of a song that we worked on, on this, this jump and jazz thing. I mean, I was pinching myself. I mean, this, 
you know, those kind yeah. of experiences. I mean, and just two years ago, I, I got to work with Garth Brooks and, and uh, John Oates and all these stuff that Chris Daniels had me be a background singer with these people. So, you know, yeah. it's just that kind of thing where, um, you know, learn your craft, you know, respect other people and, and, uh, and be a nice person. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, be, be real. I mean, and, and uh, I think good things can happen. Was that the, uh, was that the hall of fame and yes. show? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Fitzgill, Amy Grant, John Oates, uh, all these other folks. And we just, we were the backup singers for all those folks. And so we got to hang with them. Oh, that was, that's the one memory I wanted to share was the fact that, yeah. um, uh, uh, Michael Martin Murphy of, of Wildfire fame was running late and we, they divided the show in half between Dan Fogelberg's thing and then the Caribou Ranch deal. And, um, uh, and Michael was supposed to be on the first part of it, which was the Caribou Ranch recording part of it. So Michael's running late. So uh, he, he finally shows up and they're going to put him in the first part of the second half before Fogelberg starts, I think. But so here's Jeff Hanna from the Dirt Band, grabs me and Linda, first name, hey, Mark, come over here. And we go into this little room. Michael walks in, and it's me, uh, uh, my wife, Linda, uh, uh, Jeff Hanna, um, um, uh, John McEwen, and, and, um, um, and Michael Martin Murphy singing Wildfire. And I find out that Jeff and those guys in the band sang on the original recording in 1971 or two, which I remember hearing in high school. And so I'm singing these parts and Chris Daniels is right there too, singing. And we're all pinching ourselves going, this was because th those kind of tunes are such a big piece of Americana. Yeah. And I'm, I'm singing with the original people that did it, you wow. know, we're singing, you know, singing wildfire. And it was just, I've, I've been so fortunate to have moments like that. And it's just, uh, it makes all the, the, you know, all the, the, the nine to one gigs and a lot of the other things that we have to do uh, in the business, make, make it worthwhile. So wow. yeah, that was, that was a fun one. Cause I mean, we're just, but just the fact that, Hey guys, come on, let's go, let's go rehearse this tune. You know? And yeah. That's gotta be cool. Playing, doing a song live with yeah. some of the people that were on the original recording. Oh yeah. Heard a thousand times. Oh, it was, it was, yeah, it was amazing. And I had no idea. It's like, Oh yeah. We sang on the record. Like, Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So wow. Cool. And so, you said with Vince Gill there too, since he left, um, since he left Pure Pure League right before you did the yeah. tour with them, did you guys ever coordinate with each other back then or anything? Were you total strangers when you saw him? No, total strangers. And I actually, I talked to him backstage during the Hall of Fame thing. And I told him that I had, I had jumped in just after he had done his gig with him. And, um, and uh, yeah, I said, and I told him that because Craig Fuller sings a lot lower than, than, than Vince does. Vince sings probably in our range. And yeah. I said, you know, your tunes were always the most fun to sing because I could sing them because they were yeah. up where, where we lived. Yeah. But, you know, otherwise, some of it, like Amy's low for me to sing. But yeah. uh, yeah, the other, the Vince tunes were uh, Let Me Love You Tonight. And some of the other ones were, were easy to sing because they were up in our range as tenors. Wow. So, yeah. That's really neat. Yeah. That's yeah. really neat. Yeah. Well, I, if you don't mind, stay on the line with me for just a second. Sure. But to our, to our listeners, um, thank you so much for your time and, you know, sharing your story and your wisdom. And uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Oh, absolutely, Andy. Thank you so much for having me. That was real cool. Thanks, Mark. If you'd like to support this podcast in a non-monetary way, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts wherever you listen to your podcast. It really is a huge help and only takes a second. And if you'd like to support in a monetary way, you can join my Patreon community at patreon.com slash Andy Sido, S-Y-D-O-W, for less than the cost of one cup of coffee per month as Joe Pug says. Um, that was a fun conversation. It was great to sit, sit down with Mark, as I said earlier, finally get to chat, um, shoot the shit a little bit. It was awesome. And, you know, I just love his music so much. It's, they're just great tunes. The whole album is excellent, so it's hard for me to pick out a second song to play, but I'm going to play No Regrets. And if I had to write his elevator pitch, it's dangerous writing someone else's elevator pitch, but if I had to write his elevator pitch, I'd say... James Taylor meets Paul Simon meets Gary Jules in a dark... I don't have to get creative with it. Those are the three artists that I'm putting in a room together. Everyone always gets too cute with their elevator pitch. I'm just going to leave it at that, okay? Any questions, comments, concerns, hate mail, or death threats, you can send them to me at middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to chatting with you next week. Here's No Regrets. Well, you can flee with my heart 
until we part. And it's empty, and you find that it's all that's needed. 'Cause one by one, two by two, we're all looking for answers, and it's not ever quite what it seems. No, just a little sleep. Of old, Romeo, you remember as he walked through the garden to greet. So no regrets, Juliet, where she lay, a down surrender as she brought Romeo to his knees. Yeah, time comes again. It's right here, my friend. It's not what you choose, no. Lovers game with no refrain, nothing's left, no tomorrow, just a kiss, a wicked twist, tenderly. Never end.